You join me in prayer. Lord God, Alpha and Omega, we ask in this time that you would assist us to ponder anew all that you can do. And we ask that your word, which is sharper than any two edged sword, Father, we want to be so bold as to ask that that word would pierce us in some way new again in this time. Do what only you can do. Keep changing us for your glory. Amen. All right, so for the first part of this here, I'm actually going to need a volunteer. Not everybody at once. Thank you. Come on up. All right, so this is your mic, and for anybody here who doesn't know you, can you please tell them your name? Hi, I'm Hannah. Hi. All right, Hannah, we're going to, I'm going to have you stand right over there on the point. We've got to maintain social distancing here. Um, just, just play by the rules. Um, and speaking of playing by the rules, we're going to play a little game. So how many classes so far at Dort have you taken on brain science? None. Okay, this is going to be fun. All right, so it's commonly held that um, the average human being uses 10% of the, their brain. Is this true or false? True. False. false. Actually, most of your brain is firing most of the time. Um, another one. H how many decisions does the average person make in a single day? Um, can I get a range to guess? All right, uh, is it, would it be closer to 500 or would it be closer to 50,000? Um, closer to 50,000. 35,000 decisions the average person makes in a day. Decision fatigue is real. Yes. Yeah, let's see some nodding. Okay, harder one now. True or false, the average male brain is actually 10% larger than the average female brain. It's actually true. Okay, follow-up question. Um, it's also scientifically proven that men don't actually use that additional 10%. Of true. Yes, okay, thank you. Um, now, if you had to guess what percentage of your body mass is actually your brain, like how much of who you are and what you weigh altogether is your brain. Hannah, what do you think? Yeah, what percentage of your body mass is your brain? I mean, it's operating a whole lot. Um, I'm an English major, so I'm just going to guess 20%. <laughs> this is like a game show where the audience wants to help out or something. Okay, 2.2%. Or the average human brain weighs 3.3 pounds. Last question, Hannah. What food substance is the closest in its consistency to the human brain? A watermelon? A potato? Or jello? Jelly. 
Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Hannah, thank you for playing. And I got some jello brain food for you. Thank you very, very much. Enjoy. Thank you, Hannah. The human brain consists on average of 86 billion neurons. They look like this. There are trillions of synapses in between them, and there's little minuscule. The God who created Midwest thunderstorms with all of that energy and electricity condenses them all the way down into tiny little impulses that fire inside of your brain that make up your personality. And inside a space that looks like this house all of your dreams and hopes and fears and memories and hurts temptations you guys we are fearfully fearfully and wonderfully made all of that going on inside spaces like this helping us make 35,000 decisions a day, and that doesn't even include the stuff that's automatically running within our body that the brain also controls. Magnetic resonance shows us that most of the brain is actually firing most of the time, and God took his personality, his person, his image, and placed part of it inside the human brain so that you could think the thoughts of God after him, that you could understand in some capacity his world, that you would be in pursuit of all sorts of things in your life, all organized in the center of this giant gelatinous mess of 86 billion neurons. Fearfully and wonderfully made, indeed. What we're doing this semester in chapel is looking at all the different aspects of who we are. Jesus asked Peter at the end of um, his earthly ministry, will you really lay down your life for me? And it's the question I want to put back in front of each one of us throughout this semester. Will you really lay down your life for me? Are you really letting God have access to all of these parts of who you are? I've always thought of John 10.10 10 as Jesus' mission statement. Like the mission statement of his very existence. I have come, he said, so that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus ain't playing. His mission statement, his raison d'etre, his reason for existence is all about you, and it's all about you in fullness, about you being able to use all that you are to reflect the image of God, the infinite, in the finite. And all of these aspects of who we are, our intellect, our emotions, our heart, our, our acts of service, all that we are can only find its fullness of purpose when it finds fullness of life in Christ. When we die to our own ambitions, when the hidden agendas in those synapses of, in between the neurons in our brain are allowed to be permeated with both the truth and the presence of God. Put another way, following Jesus is a pursuit of fullness. It is God's desire, it is the Son of God's desire that you would have fullness and abundance in life. 
And so I want to take time this semester each week to look at one of these parts of who we are and ask ourselves the question, is this coming fully under the lordship of Christ? Am I experiencing the fullness of God in this part of my being because of the way that he loves me, because of the way that he's put me together? And so each week we're going to look at a different component within this wheel, or if you want to think about this another way, um, often in individual conversations I've had with students when they've been talking about sort of stalling out in their Christian faith or wondering what the next piece of their growth is or where they're supposed to be paying attention, I've often kind of walked through what I call like a disciples, the discipleship quadrants, right? The basic command of Jesus that summarizes everything. Are you loving the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And let's talk about these in very practical ways. What are the parts of your heart, your religious orientation, what you're directed towards? Let's talk about your dreams and your aspirations in life. Are they existing outside of your Christianity, or are they under the lordship of Jesus? Is he speaking into them? Is he shaping them? Is he renewing them? Is he changing them? The same thing that we have our affections for, the things that um, our hearts are wired towards, the things that we think upon. I want to show you today not from my observation, but from Scripture itself, that there is actually an intellectual advantage to being a Christian. That you came to the right place to spend a season of your life focusing on your learning. But not learning for the sake of learning, or learning as something that is separate from who you are in Christ. But is absolutely integral to it, and unless we embrace that, we will not experience the fullness of thought for what it's supposed to be. So let's pull out this one today on the intellectual. How do we learn to love the Lord, our God, with all of our mind? And why is that so important? You heard Jeremy read from this passage at the beginning, and I want to just kind of pause on it on a few different texts from the New Testament today. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because it's then that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Who wouldn't mind knowing the will of God? Who wouldn't mind knowing what he wants for your life? These are the things and this is the place where this happens. His good, pleasing, and perfect will, not just for him, but for you. Do not conform. To conform is to become like. God, is, in his creative genius, created 7.8 billion different people, and if he wanted you to be somebody else, he would have made you like them, but he didn't. He made you you with all of your unique characteristics, with all of your unique talents, even with what you think are your, your unique weaknesses and shortcomings. God puts you here because he needs you here as the object of his affection and as an agent of reconciliation in the world. And so we cannot simply get washed along in a broader cultural tide and conform to the patterns of this world to become like, because to become like them is to become less than who you're supposed to be. And I always say in these passages, the grace is in the grammar, right? Do not conform, but be transformed. Whenever God wants to bring about a change, he puts the action back on himself. He does the transformation. He changes us. To become in Christ is supposed to become a dramatic transformation for what we would be without it. The word transform here in the text is metamorpho. You learned this in early science, probably fifth grade. Metamorphosis. 
When a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly on the other side, it's a completely almost looking different animal, isn't it? Some parts of it are the same, but it is transformed. It's metamorphosized. That's God's design for you and for your intellect. That you wouldn't just become smarter, but that you would be transformed. And he does this by the renewing of our mind. Now, this isn't just a a guilt-laden speech on telling you you need to study harder in school. This happens when we apply the gifts that God has given us to our learning, but also putting ourselves back in the presence of the one who created all things. There's a different kind of learning when your foundational starting point isn't knowledge for the sake of knowledge, but knowledge because you're in love with the God who made it all. And you want to embrace the mysteries and wonder. And so staring through a microscope becomes an act of worship. And putting together words to craft a story or to read someone else's beautifully woven one can be an act of worship. Because we're learning to put all of ourselves and all of our thinking under what he wants us to be. The mind is renewed in Christ Jesus. That means there's more freedom from negative patterns of thought, from painful memories, from habits and addictions. When we put ourselves back before the word, when we put ourselves in prayer, when we bring ourselves to places of worship, we're entering into places where we are more consciously aware of the presence of God, of the truth of the things that he says that can change and renew and transform us and make you who you want to be in your heart of hearts. Remember that picture a little while back of the neurons and the spaces in between? All those synapses, the trillions of them in our mind? The Holy Spirit wants to inhabit the synapses that connect the neurological superhighways of your brain. He wants to live in those minuscule spaces. And if you've had thought patterns that have lead you into dangerous places or return you to old wounds or restrict you from being who you are or organize your temptations that revisit you on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit wants to invade those spaces, change and transform them, and allow you to think differently because your mind is focused on and inhabited by the Spirit of God. Inside this space, I mean, let's say that old kind of um, commonly held misassumption was true, right? If it really was true that human beings only use 10 to 15% of their brain, I think what they really mean is their capacity, not the actual volume of it. But if that were true, then the other 85% really is the space for God, where he wants to be. And he wants to take those dangerous patterns that have been like a well-worn path in the forest that your brain has thought too many times, and he wants to rewire your brain. God wants to inhabit those spaces, to own your impulses, help you dream better dreams, richer and more vivid ways of seeing the world. And I want to ask Kira, if you would come on up and read this next passage from Ephesians chapter 4.
So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Thank you, Kara. Listen to the descriptors of the way someone outside of Christ thinks and someone inside of Christ. There is supposed to be a marked difference, and not only that, you actually have an advantage in terms of wisdom and intellect and understanding in the world when you are in Christ, according to Paul. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of of their thinking. Futility means pointless, useless. To try to look at the world without looking at it through the lens of what God has done is a useless endeavor, according to Paul. It can't bring you to where you really need to go. It's darkened. It's unable to see the whole picture. It's a limited understanding of the universe and of ourselves. It's ignorant. The lack of knowledge or understanding. You see, not submitting the entirety of our thought life to Christ is like leaving too much on the table. If you want to be all that you could be, if you want to be everything you were created to be, Paul says this is a futile endeavor if you are not pursuing this in Christ because there's things that he wants to do for you. In one of the last things Jesus said to his own disciples, he said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. There is a thought advantage even in the world in being in Christ. An ability to perceive at a different way from a different vantage point. An enlightened way of thinking. Not in the classical sense, but in the biblical sense. As the light of God shines in the darkness and allows you, through the eyes of faith, to see and understand and come to places of understanding that are out of the reach of a mind that was created to be inhabited by Christ but is not. Jesus invade these spaces. Jesus, I got 86 billion neurons in my brain, and I want them firing for you. I want you to have the control of these things. To be made new in the attitude of our minds. The more refined, the more pure, and the more perceptive our thought life becomes when we are in Christ, it's being made new. 
And I want to ask Aaron Medbury to come on up and read this next passage for us. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Aaron, I'm sorry if I miscommunicated, but I think I emailed you the wrong text. You want to read this one for us? Yeah, there's two of them. This is news to me. You can read off the screen, <laughs> screen if you want. Uh, yeah. Were you wondering where he was going with that too? I've had the spirit come over me. <laughs> <laughs> For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the, of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Thank you. That one fits so much better. <laughs> All scripture is God-breathed, but some of it's more applicable in certain moments than others. Can you see the types of transformation that is talked about in the New Testament for a life and a mind that's finding itself in Christ? We are given divine power to demolish strongholds. There are strongholds of thought in our lives. There are places that have been held captive for too long. And one of Jesus' goals has always been to set the captive free, to lead us into freedom and abundance in fullness. You know that within you, because of the Holy Spirit's work, the ability exists now to demolish strongholds, both in your life and in the lives of others around you. Not only that, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It is a position of incredible privilege to be in Christ because you get to look into a mirror and see yourself of so much more worth than if your existence was only to participate in some humanistic move through the course of history or the change in, in all of the created order, but instead to reflect the image and character and likeness of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And in order for us to see ourselves like that, and the rest of us around us. We need to take heed to this, to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I want you to ponder for a minute of the thoughts in your life right now that are not obedient to Christ. Maybe ones in the past week that have led you down a wrong path or into a bad place or maybe just a bad place in your own mind the way you viewed somebody else, the way you viewed yourself, 
Maybe a certain sense of despair that you have for a particular part of your life. The invitation in Christ is to take captive every thought. To demolish strongholds. This is not subtle language. I'm going to ask you guys just to stand for a minute. And I want to pray over you a prayer of demolishing strongholds and asking God to invade these spaces in our lives. And I'm going to ask you to, um, after that, respond with me in a responsive reading of a prayer from Thomas Aquinas to finish. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we are indeed, indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. And as amazing as our brains are, we still cannot even come close to comprehending how great and how awesome you are, and how much you love us, and how your goodness pursues us, how you want to take your attributes, the attributes of the triune God, and instill them within us by reorganizing and realigning our thoughts. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would invade the synapses and the deeper spaces in our minds. And any place where there have been strongholds set up, if there's a pretension that has existed anywhere that we have been led astray, and I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would move into those places in every person's mind here, for you want to be Lord over it all. And you hate what is evil, and you invite us to cling to what is good. And so, Father, we ask that through the healing power of the risen name of Jesus Christ, that you would break down strongholds even in this moment, in this place, and in the tiny recesses of our minds where temptations have held power for too long, where despair has had too much of a home, where negativity has dictated our course of choices and decisions, where fears have stopped us from becoming who you've called us to be and who you created us to be. Father, in the name of Jesus, claim these spaces. We claim them in Jesus' name. Now I want to ask if you would join with me in the prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas, antistudium, which means before study. I'll read the italicized parts, you read the bold. Ineffable creator, who from the treasures of your wisdom has established three hierarchies of angels, has arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom, and the primal origin raised high beyond all things. You make eloquent the tongues of infants. Refine my speech and pour forth upon my lips the goodness of your blessing. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God, and true men who live and reign world without end.
Amen indeed. Have a great day.